This is the Check It Out podcast from the library. I'm Troy Swanson. I'm Tish Hayes. My name is Joe Malarkey. And we are here with our special guest, Cheryl Bundy, a faculty member in Com and Literature. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. Thank you for joining us. This uh, podcast continues our conversations in preparation for our upcoming um, graphic novel symposium, which takes place September 18th and 19th this fall. Um, today we're going to talk a little bit about um, how we think um, in academics about graphic novels and comic books and things like that. So um, I would like to ask Cheryl just to get us started, maybe to help us, um, maybe we can define a little bit what do we mean by graphic novel. Okay, so so this is a, a difficult thing to define in some ways. Um, I mean, probably most people have seen the funny papers and seen comic strips and so on. Um, graphic novels are typically more book-length works uh, that might tell extended stories. Um, sometimes the art is a little bit different from uh, a typical comic strip. It might uh, be more complicated or nuanced, uh, more impressionistic sometimes. Uh, so reading them can be really pleasurable and fun because the, the works tend to seem um, just artistic in different ways from mm -hmm. comic strips. It's, mm -hmm. it's hard to talk about. Uh, anyone else care to add on to so the definition? Visual form mm -hmm. with text that tells a story, linear story. Okay, so is it more than a book length comic strip? Or a comic book? Comic book. I mean, so in my mind. Let me, let me yeah, just right. ask that. Okay. In, in, this is my mind, which is scary and going into Troy's mind, but. Um, you know, I think of the graphic novel more as a longer form right. comic book that tells a more complete story. Now, sometimes that's a collection of individual comic books. So I think of a comic book as the shorter monthly issued thing that you'd pick up at a comic shop or wherever, bookstore if they still exist, um, which is different than the daily comic strip that used to come out in the newspaper that would be you know, a five-panel story mm -hmm. that may continue mm -hmm. day to day. But clearly they're all related, and some of those things are more complete than others, and there's people that would disagree with what I just said. Sure. And that's what's great about it, is the comics encompass a whole range of art and text combined, and sometimes those play out in short comic strips that are focused on superheroes and costumes and the supernatural, and then sometimes they're really literary, really complex works of art that... Um, you know, focus on people's lives or experiences. So it's a huge range of stuff. Yeah, and, and I think there's still some um, maybe they're looked down on in many circles, but for many years, I mean, going back probably from the 50s and 60s up to today, the, the form has been growing up and telling more complicated stories. And I feel like in the last couple decades, we've really seen this blossoming and coming into its own of, of graphic novels. And that's why we're doing our graphic novel symposium because we feel like it's a form that is looked down on that we want to sh uh, shine a spotlight on. So Cheryl, maybe you can tell us um, why you like graphic novels or what kinds of graphic novels you like and maybe take us into some of the, the stuff you use in classes and things like that. Yeah, sure. Um... It's not uncommon for uh, anyone who's taken any of my classes uh, for me to do a lot of work with uh, what we would call visual literacy. So it's not uncommon, for example, in my classes for us to do a lot of photography work or we'll do film work mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, so, so we do graphic novel work as well. Uh, in my COM 102, I've often used 
uh, a pretty well-known work by Marjane uh, Sartrapi called Persepolis, which is about, uh, it's a nonfiction book, actually. It's a memoir. It's two books long, so it has like two volumes to it. It's a big text. Uh, but it's basically the story of the author growing up during the Islamic Revolution. Mm-hmm. And it's a super interesting story. In, in Iran. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and uh, she has an interesting heritage. Uh, her story is fascinating. It's really a coming-of-age story. And we've sometimes used it in conjunction with reading uh, a more familiar work, like Jane Eyre. Uh, there are a lot of connections between the two stories. Mm. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to think about the stories and the way they work uh, together. Uh, In my fiction writing class, we've often used uh, uh, graphic novels. Uh, One example would be uh, Daniel Close Ghost World, which uh, there is a film version of it uh, that's hilarious, and it stars uh, Scarlett Johansson, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a great film. Uh, Steve Buscemi is in it as well. And, uh, and so we've used that text to talk about um, how story is maybe constructed in that form when you're working with visuals, uh, visual art, as well as text. And usually my students end up taking uh, a, an existing short story and trying to actually create a uh, graphic novel version of it. So that's actually a project wow. in, in our it's class. And they love that project. It's hilarious and interesting. And, uh, and we talk a lot about how do we do it? Uh, what, how, what roles does text play in uh, a graphic novel? And what can you do with the images to help tell parts of the story? Now, I've got a question. Uh, do you hear, do you find that um, flipping from, say, a traditional text like Jane Eyre, okay, um, with your students to a like a, a graphic novel text, do, do you find people have trouble with that? It, it's real interesting, and uh, and and it's not uh, unlike the trouble they might have uh, if I say we're going to watch uh, a foreign film. Uh, we watch sometimes the film Amelie in my classes. Um, there's another sort of obscure film I use. It's Danish. It's called The Five Obstructions. It's a, uh, a Lars von Trier film. And uh, so sometimes the students will balk at the idea of having to like watch the film and read text at the same time with the subtitle the, yeah. yeah right and and it and it, just like anything else it doesn't take very long for you to sort of get acquainted with how to do that and soon it's not an issue at all and you're able to process it uh, i think graphic novels are slightly different in that regard and it might depend on on the artist too uh, mm-hmm. some artists are not traditional in any way and, and i'm thinking of i can't remember the the author of this particular book but there's a book called our Polyp, and it's a book about uh, a professor. And what's interesting about the book is that um, there's almost like a jazz-like quality to the art. It's very impressionistic, and it's not even full color in lots of places. So certain characters will be assigned a certain palette, a certain style. And so there, in addition to you just trying to get your mind around what is the story, there are these other layers um, that add to it as the colors interact with each other because the characters are interacting with each other. It's gorgeous and it's amazing. Uh, So figuring out how to unpackage all of that is challenging. But I guess it's not unlike um, reading a novel and having to unpackage um, the image 
imagery or the symbolism, allusions to other texts and so on, you know, all of that is, is really kind of connected, which is another reason I use these texts uh, so that students can see that um, regardless of the kind of text we use, even if we're just watching some video on YouTube <laughs> or something from CNN or anywhere, um, there's a lot to unpackage and there's a lot to read. Um, and we might use the same sorts of strategies across the different genres. Um, you, you know, your comment, it reminds me, um, we had talked a little bit earlier about Scott McCloud's book, mm -hmm. and he has a book, Understanding Comics, right. that's right, and it's actually a graphic novel that demonstrates, you know, how graphic novels work, and to me, he's really building an argument that, uh, that graphic novels deserve their, and comic books deserve their rightful place as, its, as their own form, because people often think of them as like a film or a cartoon that just happens to be laid out on paper, but when you talk about using different color palettes and mm -hmm. and different um, the way that they compartmentalize a page and have different framing of, of people and stories um, you know I think he builds a compelling argument that it does something different in your mind mm -hmm. than does a cartoon than does prose than does poetry yeah I think a great example of that is um, fun home by Alison Bechtel because mm -hmm. The art that she does is, I mean, it's gorgeous, it's amazing. The story she's telling in text is also really interesting. It's a personal story. But what happens between the text and the images? There are sections that, with the text is telling you one thing, the image is telling you another thing, and you can't understand the story without looking at both of them. And I think that transforms, like, you know, reading a... I don't know, a cheesy like comic strip maybe. As fun as those are, right. it transforms <laughs> it into literature or art or you know this other thing that is pretty incredible. And I think you know gives your brain just this I mean, workout that you don't normally get from <laughs> one or the other, you know, text or visual arts. Well, and something you you're making me think of is that um, like Walt Disney didn't make those animated films for children. He made them for everybody, you know, right. and they have like, you know, they, they sort of follow because I, I mean, I studied, you know, folk literature and, and you know, and then we watched a, a couple of them and then watched how he translated the story and that. Um, but we've sort of like delegated them to kids. Right. That's that's that's, you know, for, for children to watch. Mm -hmm. OK. And then maybe we'll watch over their shoulders. You know, but we don't really appreciate that it, it's, it's I, I think a lot of people don't appreciate that they're meant for everybody. Yeah. Right, that there are these things happening visually that unless you train your eye to see them, like, you'll just miss them. Like, you can gloss over so much that's happening on a screen or on a page if you're not really paying attention mm -hmm. and, and thinking right. about how to read those things. Mm -hmm. this, this past fall, Tish and I... Um, worked in one of the lit classes and some of the students that, so it was a lit, they they were reading a bunch of novels mm -hmm. and then the last group project they could pick any novel they wanted and a group picked um, V for Vendetta which is a graphic mm -hmm. novel right, which right. was great um, but I think it was a challenging shift for them to go from <laughs> reading all of this prose right. to this visual form and we had to talk to them a little bit about how to read through mm -hmm. and look at the images and understand what they're trying to communicate. Yeah, and Alan Moore's a really complex artist. You know, right. it was definitely not maybe the best intro to graphic novels. <laughs> yes. You know, I think there are definitely like artists that are, are maybe a little bit easier to like jump into and he is not one of those. So it was definitely, right, a challenge and interesting to see both what they got out of it and then what they were struggling right. with. And, and so, Cheryl, in your classes, how do you set up um, students when they pick up the first graphic novel that you teach? 
Um, you know, I'm trying to remember what I do. I, I know that I've used parts of that Scott McCloud book, Understanding Comics, as a way for us to think about it. Um, but I think also uh, sometimes we might just examine um, a text and try to look at some of the pieces uh, that comprise it. So, you know, there might be text that's used solely as narration, you know, so there's a narrator speaking that text in the graphic novel. There might be text that is meant to be dialogue, that a character is speaking. So there are these different elements um, that are a part of storytelling, uh, but they maybe play a different role um, in the text itself in a graphic novel. Um, so that might be a way that we play with it. Um, we might look at, like, a traditional comic strip and talk about uh, maybe I'll, I'll give them a comic strip and then I'll remove one of the boxes and then we'll talk about do you know what I mean like yeah. well, you know and maybe it'll be the middle box right how do we get from A to B and so part of it is thinking about um, the gaps between the little parts of the text and um, how we fill those gaps uh, which is a, a really important part of, of working with literature anyway uh, you know interpreting literature and understanding it is so much about filling the gaps uh, that are left by the author, the places where the text is not being completely explicit about what's going on. Um, and that's true for, for graphic novels as well. So, so yeah, definitely I think we work in that way um, to, to try and understand how to read the material. And then we talk a lot about, well, what's it like, you know, after you've read a section of Ghost World or something like that? What's going on? What do you think about these characters? What are we learning? And it ends up being kind of the same conversation you'd have about any literary text I mean, mm -hmm. in large degree um, which is part of the fun right so yeah, I can see that. Mm -hmm. okay um, Joan Tish any final thoughts mm -mm. okay well I want to um, thanks Cheryl for coming in and spending the time talking this is great yeah and, thanks for uh, asking me just as a further plug for our graphic novel symposium Cheryl will be doing a lecture as part of this event mm -hmm. um, on that Thursday which is the 18th um, in the afternoon so come and listen to that, and um, thank you for your time, and thank you to our listeners. Mm -hmm.